Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the church, campus locations, service times, and more, visit ecoegt.com. Also, stay in touch with us on social media by liking us on Facebook and following us on Instagram, at ecoegt. Now let's repair our hearts as we go into the message. Today we begin a four-week series on prayer. Uh, emphasis for the next 21 days, it will culminate in 12 hours of prayer here at Glad Tidings. We're going to speak about the importance and the relevance of prayer to every believer. In Jeremiah 29, there is a wonderful promise, and it's a part of a letter that the prophet sends to the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. Now, we're familiar with chapter 29 because we know the promise of verse 11. The thoughts I think towards you are thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. And so often we stop right there with that promise. But verse 12 and verse 13 is a wonderful, wonderful promise. It says, in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Now, understand the context, the Israelites in Babylonian captivity. And if you study the letter a little bit, Jeremiah is the prophet, the man of God, but there are many lying prophets. And the lying prophets are telling the people, it's okay, judgment isn't going to happen, keep doing what you're doing, God is going to just overlook those things. And Jeremiah has a word from the Lord. Kind of sounds familiar today, doesn't it? There's a whole lot of lying prophets out there preaching something that's not the word of God. Amen? And Jeremiah says, even though you're going to be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years, this is the promise God is giving you that when you pray, I will listen. And if you will follow me, go after me wholeheartedly, you will find me. We might be living in a Babylonian captivity in society, culturally. But hear me. If you seek God wholeheartedly, you will find the presence of the Lord. See, prayer is about discovering God. Prayer is about growing in one's relationship with the Father. And prayer is about calling out to the Father. Prayer is the solution to man's needs. Second Chronicles 7.14 is that great promise that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Aren't you thankful for that promise? I will restore their land. See, the great need of humanity is to humble themselves and pray. And today, we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. So I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, and we're going to read the first few verses as we are discovering this thing called uh, prayer. 
The New Living Translation says in verse 1, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Now, what you'll notice in the Gospel of Luke, it is an abbreviated version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus taught them how to pray. He said, Father, may your name be kept holy, and may your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation. Then Luke says, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has come and just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I cannot help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As you open up chapter 11 you realize it follows on the heels of the story of Mary and Martha. They've invited Jesus to their home. And Martha is concerned about the details of a meal. She's concerned about, about the company, about everything being just right. But Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is upset. Lord, tell Mary to come in here and help me. Jesus responded, Mary has discovered what is needful, most important. It is on the heels of that teaching of, of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus that Luke tells us that Christ was praying. And after he had finished, one of the disciples came and asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Let's talk today, first of all, about Lord, teach us. Let's talk about an active learner. You can't help but notice that the disciple, after seeing the example, the life, and the ministry of Jesus, they said, we want to know how to pray like you. 
And it's not lost on the reader that it's just after Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. She has positioned herself as an active learner. Now, I want to challenge you, position yourself over the next few weeks and months. Position yourself at the feet of Jesus to be an active learner of who he is and what he has in store for you. Always seek to grow in your relationship with the Father. You say, well, what does an active learner look like? I want you to write these three words. Write the word thirst. An active learner is thirsty. They thirst for knowledge. They thirst and they're thirsty to apply the knowledge that they've learned. They want to gain more knowledge. It's important in your walk with God that you have a thirst for spiritual knowledge. You have a thirst for the things of God. You have a thirst for the word of God. Write this word, engagement. An active learner engages with the material. They seek to learn through engaging in the new activity. They saw Jesus pray, and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples to pray. We see the effect in your life. We see the anointing on you, and they correlated the anointing on his life with his prayer life. Now, hear me. The anointing in your life is directly correlated to the prayer life that you've developed. Ask the Lord to help you to be an active learner and to engage in how to pray. Now write this word, humility. Humility builds the bridge to learn new material. If you don't have humility, then you think you got it all. You think you know it all. You think you've already arrived. And let me tell you, it's hard to deal with somebody who thinks they already know it. The disciple said, Lord, we want to know more. We want to know how to pray. So, Lord, teach us how to pray. They're exercising humility. They, the 12, realize they've been chosen, realize they're a part of the team, but they also realize they need to know more. Church, you and I, we're part of the family. We're part of the team, but we need to know more. May humility characterize our life. See, a true position of a disciple is the pursuit of more. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. One theologian writes this, Luke is the gospel that, most, that draws most attention to our Lord's prayer life. Of all the other gospels, Luke has an emphasis on the prayer life of Jesus. And verse 1 reveals that Jesus' disciple recognized his prayer life as something uh, they needed. It was desirable. It quickened uh, them so much so they asked him to teach them uh, to pray. This request was made, no doubt, in the desire of becoming more effective themselves. For after living with him for three years, they had come to recognize his prayer life as a source of power in his life. 
Something happens when you commune with the Father. Something happens when you develop a daily prayer life. Something happens when you are an active learner and you spend time with Jesus. You grow and there's an anointing upon you. Can I tell you what the anointing of God does? It will smash barriers in your life. It'll break strongholds. The anointing will open up prison doors. The anointing will give you more opportunity. The anointing will pave the way for the next season in your life. Can somebody give God praise? Now, let's spend a few moments talking about point two, the elements of the Lord's Prayer. This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Notice the prayer begins. Father, your name is holy. I love how the new King James uses the old English word, hallowed be thy name. Something about that old English word, hallowed be, which simply means holy. See, these opening words focuses the petitioner eyes upon God. Hallowed be thy name. It doesn't start with your problems. It doesn't start with, with, with what you're going through. It starts with who your God is. Why did Jesus teach the disciples to pray our Father God? Why did he teach God? Because he wanted them to position their eyes on God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Too often we go to God in desperation and not out of relationship. See, when you and I learn to go to him out of relationship, then we'll begin to hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy God. You're bigger than my problem. You're bigger than my situation. You're bigger than my circumstance. You're bigger than my child's rebellion. You're bigger than the culture's dilemma and problem. You're bigger than what's happening in politics. You're bigger than what's happening in our world. You're bigger than COVID. You're bigger than my situation. Hallowed be thy name, oh God. See, prayer begins with who he is. He's God and he's our father. Creator of all things. Sustainer of all things. Supplier of all things. You remember in the Old Testament, Moses prayed and said, Lord, I want to see your glory. Exodus 34, verse 5 and 6, has this taken place. It says, the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. He called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord began to declare himself, Yahweh. See, when you get along with God, he'll begin to declare himself. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out Yahweh the Lord. 
the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and fear with unfailing love and faithfulness. And you go down to verse 8. It says, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and he worshiped. See, when you begin with God and you understand the character of the Father, you can't help but worship. You can't help but respond with how great thou art. You can't help but respond in awe and reverence to him. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your kingdom come soon. The King James says, May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, this kingdom refers to God's spiritual reign. God has announced his kingdom in the covenant with Abraham. He announced his kingdom through the prophets. Devout Jews were waiting for the day of the Lord to come. Jesus' followers recognized that the kingdom began with his arrival on earth. To say your kingdom come is to pray that more and more people will enter the kingdom. It is also a petition for all evil to be destroyed and for God to establish a new heavens and a new earth, thereby revealing his glory to all nations. In church, when we pray, we must pray, Lord, may your kingdom come. May sinners come into the family of God. May repentance take place. But when you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying for his will to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. You're praying that one day he's going to establish the new heavens and the new earth. You're praying, Maranatha, behold, Lord, come quickly. God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, prayer is about surrendering to the will of God. Prayer is not about trying to convince God to work in your life. It's not trying to twist the the arm of a, a, a reluctant parent. No, prayer is about you aligning yourself up with what God is already doing. You aligning yourself up. The next 21 days, I want to ask you, spend time daily praying. Spend time calling out to God. Spend time not trying to get your will done. Spend time discovering his will, discovering his purpose, discovering his plan. I promise you, you will not be disappointed I promise you, you will not be let down. I promise you, you will not, you will not go home uh, with your head hanging low. No, you'll lift up because you'll know that God is working and moving and that his perfect will is good and pleasing. King David writes this in Psalm 40, verse 8, I take delight in doing your will, my God. See, a child of God takes delight and find joy in doing the will of God. The will of God is not cumbersome. The will of God is not hard and difficult. It may require sacrifice, but when you come to the Lord in prayer and you discover him as your father and you get in right relationship with him, you realize the father wants to bless you. The father wants to work in you. So you begin to align yourself up with what God is doing. 
The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 5.17. He says, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand, you can have understanding as to what the Lord wants you to do. Then Jesus taught them to pray. Give us each day the food we need. See, believers should live in a state of continual dependence on God. This prayer that Jesus is teaching them, this model prayer, no doubt has reference to the Israelites when they lived in the wilderness for 40 years. They receive manna every day. You know the story. They were to only collect enough manna for the next day. If they tried to get a little bit greedy, they tried to collect more, what would happen? The worms would eat it. It would spoil. It would go bad. The only time they were allowed to collect more than just one day was the day before the Sabbath. They were to collect enough for their family to eat that day and for the Sabbath. What was the Lord teaching them? The Lord was teaching them to rely upon him day by day, step by step. What does God want you and I to learn? To learn to rely upon him day by day, step by step. See, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, pray like this. Give us each day the food we need. And then he said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. See, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he made forgiveness the cornerstone of their relationship with God. Forgiveness. The need to pray for forgiveness every day. You're in relationship. You're a son. He's the father. You're a daughter. But we live in a fallen world and we're still being transformed. We're still going through the sanctification process. And sometimes, church, we make mistakes. But guess what? You can pray, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I am sorry. Lord, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. This family prayer, this prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray, this model was understanding that forgiveness comes from God. And when you've been forgiven, you also forgive much. Again, go into the book of Ephesians. Turn with me to chapter 4 of Ephesians. And go down to verse 31 and verse 32 of Ephesians 4. Paul is talking to the church, and he says, get rid of all bitterness. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. You see, it matters how you talk. Don't talk like the world. 
Don't cuss and curse and do all the carrying on like everybody else does. He's transformed your life. He's changed you. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Get rid of all these things as well as all types of evil behavior. Put that evil behavior away from you. Get it away. Put it away. Why? Because you're forgiven. You don't continue to walk in that. You don't continue to live that way because you've been transformed by grace and the Lord Jesus forgives you. Now notice, he said, instead, be kind to each other, be tender hearted. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you gotta be kind to me. Be tender hearted, forgiving one another, forgiving, you get that? Forgiving, look, Tyler's trying to twist McKenzie's arm. You better be nice to me. You better be kind to me. <laughs> A typical husband, right? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Sanctify me, Lord. Sanctify me. <laughs> Forgiving one another. Notice the characterizing phrase. Just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. How are we to forgive one another? Just like Jesus has forgiven you. And I like how the New Living Translation puts this next phrase. Don't let us yield to temptation. Temptation is all around. Don't let us give in to it, Lord. The trial is going to come. Nobody likes the trial. But it's what happens in a fallen world. Don't let us fall and yield to temptation. Warren Wearsby writes this. We can ask him to provide our needs for today. We can ask him to forgive us for what we have done yesterday, and to lead us in the future. All of our needs can be included in these requests, material and physical provision, moral and spiritual perfection, divine protection and direction. And if we pray this way, we can be sure of praying in God's will. But notice when Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us to pray Luke's narrative, he didn't stop there, which brings us to our third and final point. Let's talk about the further teaching of Jesus. Look at verse 5, teaching them more about prayer. He used this story. Suppose you went to a family friend at midnight wanting to borrow some loaves of bread. You say to him, hey, a friend of mine unexpectedly stopped by. I have nothing to feed him. I need to borrow some food. And that friend yells out from his bedroom, hey, we're asleep. The doors are shut. The family's in the bedroom. Everybody's asleep. But you just keep on knocking. And that reluctant friend is going to get up and help you. Let me tell you something that's really unique about the context. The culture in the first century is you were obligated to help a neighbor if they came to you. It was disgraceful for you not to help them. Matter of fact, you would be dishonored in the community if you were known that you didn't get up and help your friend. 
And Jesus uses this story. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, yet if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So write this word persistence. Now notice in this parable, Jesus did not say that God was like this grouchy neighbor. In fact, he said just the opposite. If a tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of a bothersome friend, how much more will a loving heavenly father meet the needs of his own dear children? See, Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater. We've already seen that prayer is based on sonship, our father, not on friendship. But Jesus used friendship to illustrate persistence in prayer. God the Father is not like this neighbor, for he never sleeps. He never gets impatient. He's never irritable. He's always generous, and he delights in meeting the needs of his children. So church, when you pray, you can pray with confidence. Be persistent. Keep asking. Keep believing. Keep trusting. God is going to work in your behalf. Write this, the heart of the Father. Jesus talks about not only persistence, but the heart of a Father. Notice the teaching on prayer starts with Father, and the teaching of prayer closes with an illustration of Father. So I tell you, verse 9, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, you're not going to give them a snake. If they ask for an egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. Of course not. So if you earthly fathers know how to bless your children, how much more your heavenly father. Now, the tenses of the verbs are important here. He says, keep asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. In other words, don't only come to God in, in, in midnight emergencies, but keep in constant communion with the father. See, Jesus called this abiding, and Paul exhorted the church to, to pray without ceasing. And this passage closes with an emphasis on God as Father. And if your earthly fathers give you what is best, surely the Father in heaven, who's compassionate, forgiving, slow to get angry, merciful and faithful, surely he will do even more. Matthew records this same example. And in chapter 7, verse 11, in a modern day translation, it says, if you 
imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? If you and I know how to bless others and bless our children, how much more will our heavenly Father bless us? See, the disciples knew something different about Christ. They watched him pray. And then they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus gave this model prayer. Don't approach him as this theistic being many millions of miles away. Approach him from relationship as father. See, the only way you can call him father is you have to be a part of the family. You have to be a son and daughter. How do you become a son and daughter? By surrendering to Jesus, by accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior, by receiving this gift of salvation. And then out of this relationship, you learn what his kingdom is all about. You learn about what his reign is in your life. And you begin to align your life with his. And you discover the joy, the delight in following God. If my people pray, if my people wholeheartedly seek after me, they will find me. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Holy Spirit, move in our midst. Holy Spirit, move in our homes, move in our family, move in our hearts. God, I pray there are those outside the family. There are those who cannot confidently say, Father, God, because they're living in direct opposition to your word. They're living in direct opposition to your kingdom. But Lord, I know that the Spirit of God is drawing them today. So I pray they'll have the courage to surrender. And they'll know you as Father. As our head is bowed, our eyes are closed. Maybe you're at home right there in your living room. You want to commit your life to Christ. You want to surrender to him and know him as father. It's best to know him as father today rather than judge tomorrow. He's inviting you into the family. He's inviting you into that relationship to be a son, to be a daughter of his. If you're here today and you've been wondering, you're here today and you've been running, you're here today and you've been slipping and sliding, doing your own thing, and you want to surrender. You say, I don't know if I can live this life. Hear me. God will help you. His spirit will set you apart. Just take that first step and surrender. If that is you today, will you lift your hand and say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Do you know God loves you today. God sees you. I see that hand on the third row. God is working and moving. Surrender. I see that hand back there. God loves you. God is working and moving you at home. If you're responding, just make a comment right there and say, I surrender today. I want him to be my father. Let's pray this prayer out loud together. Say, Jesus, Jesus. 
I surrender. I admit my sins. I believe you are the Son of God. And I confess I have fallen short. Give me your life. Give me your peace. Be Lord of everything. In Jesus' name, amen.